Believe it or not, I watch my words very carefully. There are those that think I'm a very stable genius, okay? I watch my words very, very closely. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California on KFOI, Red Bluff Redding, KKRN, Round Mountain, KGOE, Eureka. In Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO in Cottage Grove, KEPW in Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing the globe five days a week, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. But today, once again, you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, based at NicoleSandler.com. Happy to be able to fill in for Brad and Desi while they're off dealing with a family tragedy. They should be back sometime in the next week or so. Hopefully in the next day or two, I'll have a better idea of exactly when they'll return, but it's coming soon. But boy, what a time for them to be gone, huh? For as crazy as the news cycle has been since Donald Trump was elected, The last few weeks have just been nuts. So I'm trying my hardest to bring you up to date on everything that's happened. So let's look at what's gone on since we last spoke. Wednesday should go down in the history books as the day Donald Trump completely melted down. It started on Twitter early Wednesday morning when Donald went profane. Now, it's one thing to hear me curse. I do it frequently on my show, which is internet only. Then again, I'm not president of the United States. Donald Trump this morning tweeted something I cannot read on the public airwaves without being at risk of having to pay a massive fine and putting the license of the station airing this in jeopardy. Quote, the do-nothing Democrats should be focused on building up our country, not wasting everyone's time and energy on BS. But he didn't use the abbreviation. He spelled it out and in all caps, And he continued, which is what they've been doing ever since I got overwhelmingly elected in 2016. 223 to 306. Get a better candidate this time. You'll need it. A few corrections, Donnie. First of all, the word country should not be capitalized. It's far from BS. And Hillary Clinton got 232 electoral college votes, not 223, as you continue to lie to the American people. And it most certainly was not an overwhelming victory. She beat you by 3 million votes. 
But that Twitter tirade then turned into an Oval Office meltdown during a pool spray with the president of Finland looking on in horror. Trump ended his rant in the Oval Office with the president of Finland sitting there by saying, you have corrupt media in this country and it is truly the enemy of the people. Alrighty then. One of the things that set him off on Wednesday was probably the fact that the Inspector General of the State Department, Steve Linick, reached out to a group of congressional committees with what they described as an urgent request to brief the staff of these committees about documents related to the State Department and Ukraine. This is supposed to be happening sometime Wednesday in a classified setting. It'll include staff from the House and Senate committees, including the Intelligence, Foreign Relations, Oversight and Appropriations Committees. Shortly before Donald Trump's uh, big press conference, Yamish Alcindor of the New York Times tweeted, confirmed, a source familiar tells me the State Department IG briefing on the Hill is about retaliation against State Department officials who are trying to cooperate with House Democrats. This is on top of Donald Trump referring to (laughs) this impeachment proceeding as a coup. Yep. He tweeted, As I learn more and more each day, I'm coming to the conclusion that what is taking place is not an impeachment, it is a coup. Again, Donald, sorry, a coup or coup d'etat is known as a rapid and often violent seizure of power from a government. That's not what's occurring. Impeachment is the legal procedure of removing a president from office as outlined in the Constitution. Meanwhile, the president and his acolytes continue to smear and attempt to unmask the unidentified whistleblower at the heart of the impeachment probe. Thankfully, cracks are forming in the armor. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, breaking with his party and the president, stepped up to defend the whistleblower, saying, quote, This person appears to have followed the whistleblower protection laws and ought to be heard out and protected. We should always work to respect whistleblowers' requests for confidentiality. So there's that. Speaking of the whistleblower, I wanted to look at this story from his or her vantage point. Obviously, we don't know the identity of the whistleblower, so we're doing the next best thing. I reached out to an actual whistleblower, somebody who paid a big price for his patriotism. That interview is coming up next. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com slash donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. You're going down, baby, baby. You're going down, baby, baby. You're in a tail. 
I'm Nicole Sandler, in for Brad Friedman on the Bradcast. Donald Trump had a complete and total meltdown on Wednesday. He's obsessed with the whistleblower and appears to be trying to unmask his or her identity. I wanted to look at things from the whistleblower's vantage point. So I called on an actual whistleblower who paid a really big price for his patriotism. Joining us on the line now is John Kiriakou. He's a former CIA counterterrorism officer and a former senior investigator with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. John became the sixth whistleblower indicted by the Obama administration under the Espionage Act, a law designed to punish spies. He served 23 months in prison as a result of his attempts to oppose and expose the Bush administration's torture program. He's written three amazing books about his experience. I'll fill you in later, but he's got a new article out for Consortium News about the current whistleblower revelations and, well, the the entire case. It's titled, What Was This CIA Officer Thinking? So, John, you've got a unique perspective on the what's being called now the whistleblower case. Um, in your your article at Consortium News is interesting because one of the first things you bring up in the piece is if this CIA officer is indeed um, a, an actual, a real whistleblower. What, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of things about the, the whistleblower's report that bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, one is it doesn't read like a whistleblower report. It reads like something that was written by committee. And I know how the CIA works. I spent 15 years at the CIA. What they do is they put everything, literally everything through the chain of command. So where a whistleblower should write a report and send it to the, to the inspector general, it appears to me that what this whistleblower did is he wrote his report put it through his chain of command, and then the chain of command took over. And they sent it through their chains of command, and they sent it to the attorneys, and they sent it to the CIA leadership. So in the end, it looks like it was written by 20 different people, most of whom were attorneys. And I'm not sure that it conveys really the information or exactly the information that the uh, whistleblower wanted to have conveyed. Wow. Uh, because as a layman, as a layperson, I read it and thought, wow, this is pretty damning stuff. Um, so uh, you're, you're suggesting that it could perhaps be that the whistleblower, I'm putting doing air quotes for those who can't see, yep. um, is, is perhaps a CIA plant whose task it is to take down the president. Um, uh, I, and I guess that's possible, yes? I, I, I struggle with this kind of thing, mm-hmm. but... but the easy answer to your question is yes, it's possible. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen CIA perfidy firsthand. I see how they plot against people, even presidents. You know, historically, they did it against Jimmy Carter. They did it against Bill Clinton. Now they're doing it against Donald Trump. And, and I've made another point repeatedly, and I want to say it again, and forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but the CIA is led by a cadre of people Uh, called the Senior Intelligence Service, SIS officers. Mm -hmm. And those officers have been there for 20 and 30 and 35 years. Many of them came of age, I would say at this point, a majority of them came of age during the Obama administration, and they know that presidents come and go, and they're going to be there forever. You can call it the deep state, you can call it the federal bureaucracy, you can call it the government, you can call it whatever you want. The truth of the matter is that these unelected people run the intelligence community, and they don't care what the president wants. Okay. 
Well, you know, and let me play devil's advocate for a moment. As someone, a citizen of the United States, who's been mortified by this president, who sees the upending of not only norms, but laws and and common decency, uh, you know, human compassion. I mean, everything about him not only disgusts me, but also terrifies me. I'm, you know, I was of the mind that I was hoping there was somebody in the White House who would blow the whistle on this guy. Is it possible that this unnamed whistleblower was just acting out of, you know, a, a, a conscience? Patriotism. Yes. Sure. Uh, and, and you get no argument from me on your points. I agree with you completely in that respect. Uh, and and we want whistleblowers to act out of conscience and out of patriotism. But I fear that what happened is this whistleblower who, who meant well, most likely meant well, I think that, that his complaint and the whole process has been taken over by the CIA leadership. And that's what frightens me. Wow. Now, now, what do you think? We're speaking, we're recording this early on Wednesday morning, October 10th. At some point today, the intelligence community's inspector general will be briefing members of the House of Representatives on what they're saying is an urgent matter relating to this Ukraine uh, situation. Do you have any idea what this could be about? I don't, but if you look at the whistleblower protection law, and specifically the um, intelligence community whistleblower protection law, it it defines whistleblowing as bringing to light any evidence of waste, fraud, abuse, illegality, or threats to the public health or public safety. So if the if the IC Inspector General says he has urgent information that he needs to convey to Congress, it has to be related to illegality or fraud or some such thing, because the law compels him to report that to Congress. So my best guess is that's what that's what it is. It's at least something that the inspector general believes to be a crime. Right. Now, this is the same inspector general, I believe, who was given this whistleblower report, such as it is, by uh, who, who by the by the whistleblower, who then found it to be credible and urgent in nature, turned it over yes. to the acting DNI, who by law was supposed to turn it over to Congress. Instead, Correct. the acting DNI gave it to the White House, who was the subject of the report. Um, this is <laughs> absolutely scandalous. Yes. Just scandalous. The law is very, very clear, Nicole. It, the information has to go to the oversight committees. And just because you don't like the chairman of the, of the oversight committee or you don't like the party that happens to be in control of that House of Congress doesn't mean that you can just pretend that the law doesn't exist and not turn the information over. This is, this is how the system breaks down. This is exactly why we have a law so that, so that there is a way to convey this information to the oversight committees. I complain frequently in radio and television interviews that we generally don't have oversight committees. We have cheerleading committees. Mm-hmm. We have committees that, that happily uh, endorsed and financed the torture program, the illegal rendition program, the secret prisons program. Uh, we have an oversight committee, at least on the Senate side, that did nothing when the CIA broke into its computer system mm-hmm. and hacked its, its uh, computers uh, during the, the writing of the torture report. So it, it just seems to me that they've been powerless or they've chosen to be powerless until now. And now the CIA doesn't really like this. Mm-hmm. And so the inspector general, at least the, the uh, DNI inspector general, decided, well, I don't like that oversight committee on the House side. Uh, I'm just not going to pass the information. That's a criminal violation. 
Right. And it's but it's not only the Trump administration who has treated whistleblowers in this manner. You're a prime example. And you, and you will also write in this consortium news article uh, that I'll link both from uh, bradblog.com and NicoleSandler.com, the case of Thomas Drake. You want to tell yeah. us a little bit about what happened to Thomas Drake when he tried to blow the whistle on warrantless wiretapping? You bet. Tom Drake was a senior intelligence uh, officer at NSA, um, one of the most highly respected officers in NSA, and frankly, one of the country's leading thinkers on the issue of Internet privacy. Uh, Tom was, uh, was in a senior position on September 11th, and within days of the September 11th attacks, he saw that without any congressional approval, without any legal authority, uh, NSA began its warrantless wiretapping program on American citizens. And they started this mass surveillance and, and mass collection of Americans' phone calls, text messages, and emails. He knew that this was illegal, patently illegal. And so he went to his inspector general at NSA. The inspector general didn't know what he was talking about because the inspector general hadn't been read into the program. So Tom went to the uh, general counsel. The general counsel told him to mind his own business. Just as he was taught to do, he went through the chain of command and he went to the Pentagon inspector general. The Pentagon IG actually destroyed the evidence that, uh, that Tom had brought out with him. And the inspector general is now under criminal investigation at DOD. So when he didn't get any satisfaction there, he went to the House Oversight Committee, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And for his trouble, he got 10 felony uh, indictments, wow. including five counts of espionage. Now, of course, he hadn't committed a felony, and he hadn't committed espionage, and finally the case fell apart, and all those charges were dismissed, but not until he went bankrupt, not until he lost his security clearance and mm. his job, not until his wife left him. Oh my she, God. Was, she was also an NSA uh, senior officer. He literally lost everything. So here we are, all these years later, and one of the country's Leading thinkers on internet privacy issues works at the Apple Store in Bethesda, <gasps> Maryland. That's what happens to whistleblowers. Oh, my goodness. Now, you write that in your own case, you blew the whistle on the CIA's torture program, and you couldn't go through the chain of command because the chain of command is who created the torture program. <laughs> right. That's the irony. So I couldn't go through my chain of command. I worked in the CIA's counterterrorism center. And it was in the counterterrorism center that my leadership conceived of and implemented the torture program. Uh, I couldn't go to the, to the uh, inspector general or the general counsel because they had worked with the DOJ inspector general and general counsel to stand on their heads and, and legally formalize uh, the torture program, if you remember the U. Bybee memos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I couldn't go to the, to the oversight committees because they were the ones that approved and financed the torture program. Uh, so I elected to go to the media. It was a, it was a risk and it was a risk that, uh, resulted in 23 months in a federal prison. But, uh, sometimes the only place to go is to the media. Uh, when the government is corrupt, you have to go where the information will, uh, will be disseminated. Right. And look, I know a lot of our listeners um, look back on the Obama years as saying, oh, you know, it was uh, it was normal times. And compared to what we're living through now, perhaps it was. But we should mention that, uh, as I did at the outset, under the Obama administration, uh, uh, six, right, six whistleblowers, including you, were indicted eight. under the, eight under the Espionage eight. Act. Oh, you were the sixth of eight. 
I, I was the sixth, you know, as crazy as it sounds, and I'll preface this by saying I believe in the whole hope and change thing. Yeah. I volunteered on the campaign. I took my kids to the inauguration. I went to work for John Kerry on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee after Obama was elected. So I believed in the whole thing. Um, but as it turned out, uh, it was Barack Obama who indicted me mm. and, and seven other whistleblowers under the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act, Nicole, was written in, in 1917 right. to combat German saboteurs during the First World War. It's only been updated once, and that was in 1955. And between 1917 and 2009, three Americans were charged with espionage for talking to the media. Just during Barack Obama's presidency, he, he charged eight people wow. with espionage for talking to the media. It had this incredible chilling effect on, on national security whistleblowing. And uh, one New York Times uh, reporter wrote on the day that I left for prison that on the day of my arrest, every single one of the New York Times national security sources went silent. And that was exactly what the point was, wow. to silence potential whistleblowers. Wow. Uh, again, we are speaking with John Kiriakou, a former CIA counterterrorism officer who was a whistleblower. He blew the whistle on the Bush administration's torture program. And for that, he served 23 months in prison uh, after being prosecuted under the Espionage Act by the Obama administration. John, you've written three great books on the subject. The Reluctant oh, Spy, My Secret Life in the CIA's War on Terror in 2010, The Convenient Terrorist, Abu Zubaydah and the Weird Wonderland of America's Secret Wars in 2017. And, and the first time we spoke was after your third book was published, Doing Time Like a Spy, How the CIA Taught Me to Survive and Thrive in Prison, which is a fascinating memoir about your time in prison and how you navigated it and the lessons you've learned. What if you could send a message to this CIA whistleblower, who may or may not be an actual whistleblower, um, what, what would you say to this person? It's a little bit on the technical side, okay. but um, and I say this in the consortium news piece that I wrote, Nicole. I think that this whistleblower made a grave mistake uh, in his choice of attorneys. He, he chose an attorney who has a track record of, frankly, of ratting out his clients to the FBI and to the CIA. I would run screaming from the room away from that attorney and hire one of Washington's A-list national security defense attorneys. You know, Washington's a very unusual place in that we have specialties like this. We have attorneys... And I mean like $1,000 an hour, top flight, internationally recognized attorneys who specialize in national security and national security defense. We even have psychiatrists in the Washington area who specialize in screwed up former CIA officers wow. with PTSD. So it's an actual cottage industry. So I would tell this guy, lawyer up, keep your mouth shut, and don't open it unless your lawyer is sitting next to you. Wow. Okay, so um, we, we, we still don't, there's so much we don't know. What we do know is the president is one talking smack about this person, um, oh, yeah. putting him in danger, him or her in danger, and saying that they are actively trying to unmask the identity. How dangerous is this for this person going forward? Oh, I think this is really, really critical. Uh, in the days after I blew the whistle, I got hundreds, maybe more than hundreds of, of pieces of hate mail and email. Mm. 
And then the FBI called me at one point about a week after I blew the whistle and said that they had three credible threats against my life and that maybe I should leave town until they could get things wrapped up. Oh my God. And so that's what I did. My, I took my wife and my children uh, to, uh, to Mexico for a week. And then the FBI called and said that they had made these arrests and we could come back. So we did. The president is actively trying to out this whistleblower. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine or fathom anything, anything more uh, irresponsible than trying to out the identity of this whistleblower. If he's successful, um, I, would, I would say, and I don't think I'm overstating this, I would say that the whistleblower's life would be in danger. Yeah. And, uh, and he would have to be protected. This is incredibly irresponsible. Wow. Uh, I hope people understand the severity of this and whether or not, uh, you know, oh God, maybe I'm naive. I, I believe what I read. I think this person had a, 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 a attack of conscience and said, I can't let this go. But even if it was a concerted yeah. effort to expose this guy for all of his wrongdoing, I say good on him, and we need to do everything possible to protect this person. Um, there are whistleblower laws on the books, but obviously they're not effective. They're not effective. And this is not a partisan issue. No. You know, the, the biggest champion of whistleblowers in Congress is Senator Chuck Grassley, mm-hmm. a Republican of, uh, of Iowa. And then uh, on the House side, there are a couple of Democrats who have been friendly to the to the notion of whistleblowers? This is not partisan in any way. I think that the problem is, and, and I'll actually I'll give you an example. When I got out of prison, I was hired by the Greek government to help them write a new whistleblower protection law. And so I went to Greece. My Greek is excellent, and uh, and I went to meet with the Minister of Justice. And so we're sitting there in this meeting, and I'm explaining what a draft law might look like. There's no Greek word for whistleblower. And so I kept saying the word in English. And finally, he says to me, what, what exactly does this word mean, whistleblower? Mm-hmm. And so I explained it. And he said, oh, you mean like a rat or a <gasps> snitch? Oh. And I said, no, no. not at all like uh-huh. a rat or a snitch. And I explained to him why whistleblowers were so important. And so we ended up coming up with our own word, which translates as sentinel of the public trust. Yeah. And that's really what this is. And that's something that our political figures don't understand. They're still in that mindset of rat or snitch. And that's just wrong. I like that. Sentinel of the public trust. We need more of them. More of you. We do indeed. Um, John Kiriako, in addition to your books uh, telling all about your experience, you also host a radio show yourself. Tell us where we can hear it and when. I do. It's called Loud and Clear, and it's uh, it's in the Washington D.C. area, but it's also on all of the uh, the various podcast platforms: uh, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spreaker, and Spotify. Uh, every day, it's two hours, loud and clear. Awesome, John Kiriakou. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning, and for being so open and accessible about your experience. People need to understand the risks that this person... Just one last thing before I let you go. You say you that, that regardless of the outcome, this person's future um, is, is over as a, as a CIA oh, yeah. officer. That, um, yeah. what, what is the attitude towards whistleblowers inside the CIA? Oh, it's actively hostile. Mm. Um, and, and I say in this article that that the conventional wisdom inside the CIA is, is going to be, you ratted out the president of the United States. What's to keep you from ratting out me? 
or ratting out the director. Um, I think that although this person clearly did the right thing, I think that his career is essentially over. Well, sometimes you make sacrifices for the greater good. I guess we'll see what happens. But, oh boy, I know there is a GoFundMe account set up to help Uh. this whistleblower. It's set up by Whistleblower Aid. Apparently, all your donations to this uh, fund are tax deductible. The URL to get directly to that page is helpthewhistleblower.org. And they suggest using the hashtag, I am the whistleblower. This person, whoever it is, uh, really is acting in our best interests, and we need to have his or her back. John Kiriakou, thank you so, so much for everything you've done and what you continue to do. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your kindness and for having me on the show. John Kiriakou. Follow him on Twitter at John Kiriakou. His website is johnkiriakou.com, spelled K-I-R-I-A-K-O-U, in case you were wondering. And read his books. They're as fascinating as was our conversation. Up next, how an academic views this fine mess we've gotten ourselves into. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host for this edition of The Bradcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. From the war against disorder, from the sirens night and day, from the fires of the homeless, from the ashes of the gay, democracy is coming to the USA. Welcome back to the Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. So we've covered the news. We spoke with a whistleblower. Now I want to speak with an academic. Find out what someone who's an actual historian who teaches about democracy, seriously, for a living, thinks of what's going on. And luckily, I know one of them. Harvey J.K. is a professor of democracy and justice studies at the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay. He's the author of a number of books, including Thomas Paine and the Promise of America and The Fight for the Four Freedoms, with a new one set for release on October 25th called Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again, available for pre-order now on Amazon. We'll discuss the book on another interview as we get closer to release date in a couple of weeks. Um, But very quickly, Harvey... First of all, welcome to the show, and tell us about the book as a way to maybe entice someone to order oh, it early. Okay, okay. well, that's great, because it just finally got posted on the sort of traditional, usual book websites. Uh-huh. So it, this is actually a collection of my recent speeches and essays, all of them all of them really focusing on the, on the imperative that we really ought to take hold of our history in this sense. I don't mean just learn from history, as most historians would argue. I'm saying that... It, that we have a radical tradition in America, not only a radical tradition of 
well-known radicals of you know Thomas Paine and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and we could bring it all the way up to Martin Luther King and so mm. on. But I'm saying that there's actually a radical imperative in American life, and these, and in fact, the radical tradition is a reflection of that. But also, it's a book, and if people pick it up, and I hope they do, which actually lays claim to those things that too often conservatives themselves and reactionaries have sought to to, to hijack from us, you know, from the revolution to the Civil War to the 1930s and, and the 1940s. In other words, I want people to lay claim even to the likes of George Washington. But I'll, in the book, I make it clear that I'm not oblivious to his sins, okay? Mm -hmm. Similarly, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt. My point is that the right may hijack history, and I'll finish on this, but too often we have turned our backs on history because we, we, we know the tragedy and the exploitation and the oppression. But by turning our back on history, we actually end up failing to remember the radicalism that we carry with us still. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, that's enticing. Um, again, it is available for pre-order. Take hold of our history. Make America radical again. I just got my advanced copy in the mail. Thank you very much. So I will read it, and then we'll reconvene before publication date, official publication yes. date, and, and, and talk about it. people just pick it up and read the acknowledgments, they will see my appreciation for you. Oh, thank you. Well, Harvey, you've been ensconced in pre-release book stuff, so much so that when I invited you on the air last week to discuss the rapidly changing news about Trump and the Ukraine call and impeachment, you had to take a pass. But you quickly realized that you needed to get up to speed for your classes, <laughs> right? So yeah, you have it all yeah. figured out now? Well, I, I, <laughs> I threw myself into the BBC, the New York Times, uh -huh. left, left, left uh, websites, I mean, most of them had pretty much the same thing to say, but I did discover things along the way that, that kind of surprised me, and I'll try to drop them or sprinkle our conversation with them. Okay. And the other thing is, just so everyone understands, I just started the new semester, and there is the new book coming out, uh -huh. and this, this is the time of the Jewish holidays, and I have, oh, it we is. have family coming okay. to visit. Mm. And, and last but not least... <laughs> Next Wednesday, I turn 70. Okay? Oh, wow. Well, happy birthday. It's so next month, I turn 60. It's ah, amazing good. how time good. does that to Not us, alone. isn't it? <laughs> Not alone in getting yeah. a little bit older. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, you've been busy, and, you know, sometimes history happens at the most inconvenient times. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so now you had to take a step back. You've got a new semester starting. You've got curious students. And after all, you have my favorite title of all time, Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies. So um, do we have a true, do we have a democracy anymore? And is justice possible in this country anymore? Uh, that, great question. And I'll, I'll start off by telling you something that a second grade teacher, was it a fifth, sorry, a fifth grade teacher told me some years ago. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> My One of my daughters was at that point in fifth grade and the teacher invited me to come and speak. It, I apologize, it might have been sixth or seventh, That's but you okay. got the idea. Got it. And, and I gave this talk on what do I do? Basically, it was what do I do? It was mm -hmm. like parents coming in and saying, <laughs> right. And I, and I talked about the fact that my concern for almost all of my career, whether it had to do with Latin America or Britain or the United States, and for the last almost 30 years, it's really been the United States. I said, my concern is democracy. And I, I study it. I write about it. I make arguments about it and so on. And I, and I think I was explaining to them by way of dates, 1776, 1830, 1840. I laid out a whole series of dates to explain to them that we've not always been the democracy that we claim to be. And then at the end, the teacher raised her hand. I think I'm shortening this, this story. Yeah. She said, well, I don't think the United States is a democracy yet. Mm -hmm. This is amazing when she said it was a social studies teacher. Wow. And I said, 
I said, you know what? I You're said, right. that's, that's, that's a good point, and it's a reflection of this. For a start, we can't say that before Trump, we were truly the democracy we claim to be. We yep. know how for so many decades, the rights of workers and women and people of color have been under siege, in the, even though we thought we had achieved so much during the 1960s. But clearly for the last three years of Donald Trump, not to mention all the years before it, but the three years of Donald, it is three years now since the election yeah, nearly. Yeah. Three years of Donald Trump, we have seen an assault on the most fundamental elements in Democratic, in, even if you want to limit it to the Republic. Yep, it's a, it's yep. an assault on the Republic. Yep, it is. So, and I remember I wrote at the very beginning of the Trump administration a warning. I said, who says it can't happen here? Because from that famous novel by um, Sinclair Lewis back in 1935, where he says, you know, it can't happen here, which, by the way, was not necessarily the title he wanted, but the publishers wanted to make sure that he wasn't too depressing, even in the title. <laughs> but the fact is, he seriously worried. He laid out this this story in which the fascist, this sort of populist fascist takes power. Now, here we, we see, a t you know, we're not we're living in a time in which for three years we've seen this slow, not erosion, because erosion presumes that it's somehow some kind of natural, you know, it, uh, rainfall on the, on the landscape. It's actually the case that it has been under assault. So it started off when Trump sort of forewarned us, not just with the line first, America first, which, by the way, goes back to the late 1930s America mm -hmm. first movement, mm -hmm. which was not simply isolationist. It was also decidedly anti-Semitic yep. and soft on Hitler, you might say. Yep. So yep. he warned us with that. But no, nope, the media just continued to treat him somewhat as entertainment. How long did it take them to say he's a liar? Right. Yeah. I mean, how long? It was always untruths exaggerations, that kind of misstatements. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Misstatements. That's a good, right. Yeah. So, but we know from the very beginning in, and all the more, even the media in hindsight is saying liar, phony, only the Washington post, you might say, kept the record of all those falsifications and lies. So, okay. So what we've seen then for these last three years is this assault on, on democracy. It's an assault, not only on the legacy of generations of struggles, but even all the more, it's a legacy on the very idea of a democratic republic. So that the president, the executive, the Trump administration, and its, you know, its cronies and its toadies, whatever you want to think about, it, you know, the likes of, of Barr, mm -hmm. have 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 an idea of the executive branch as if it's actually royal, yeah, as if it stands right. above the law. Mm -hmm. And the whole and one of the fundamentals of the American Revolution and struggles thereafter is that no one should be either below the law, as in slavery, or above the law, as in some kind of aristocratic or royal household. And what we've seen is indeed this creation of this royal facade, or if you prefer, dictatorial facade around the Trump administration, around or, Donald himself. Right, or it, Nixonian, because who can forget this, which seems to be Donald Trump's personal mantra. Or when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Right. Oh, God. yes, thank you. I <laughs> forgot about that. Line. Right. <laughs> yes, yep. yes. Mm -hmm. you bet. Absolutely. And of course, Donald is clearly outpacing Richard Nixon. Oh, yeah. Clearly oh, yeah. outpacing Richard oh, yeah. Nixon. So that's one part of the story, of course, of the, the assault on democracy and a very serious assault on democracy. And by the way, at any point along the way, we might well have, have called for articles of impeachment. That's to start. Yep. But then, of course, on the other hand, and this is also part of this whole question of articles of impeachment, and indeed, this came up, this came up in twofold fashion with this call that we'll eventually speak of to the uh, president of yep. Ukraine. Right. 
is that from the beginning, the Trump family and Trump himself has treated the presidency as a money-making endeavor, right? Yes. So whether it was the hotel in D.C., which mm-hmm. once upon a time was actually the headquarters of the National Endowment for the Humanities, where I used to attend meetings, wow. talk about ironic. Wow. Okay. And think about all the folks who stay at the hotel, either because they want to li- they want to live in the splendor of the Trump name or because, indeed, they want to show that they're willing to put money into Donald right. Trump. And his- or, sorry to interrupt, but a story that's broken just this morning that there's no- numerous ghost bookings at that hotel where foreign entities book blocks of rooms that they never intend to use just to curry favor with the administration. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, did, boy, I didn't even turn on the news this morning, that, so I wouldn't confuse myself. Oh, yeah, geez. that's new. That's today. That's a good one. Yep. It's interesting how it all starts. No, it's good. You know, all of a sudden we're, we're, we're beginning the impeachment proceedings and all of this stuff is, is coming out. Yep. By the way, which raises the question, what kind of impeachment will this be? In other words, what kind of investigations will ensue, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to jump the gun on, on what may be a later question, but but we, there's been talk. Will will Nancy Pelosi license, in quotes, license the six committee, is it five or six I committees five, that are meant yeah. to take up these hearing, these investigations and these hearings mm-hmm. to pursue all aspects of the Trump royal family, okay, to use the, that metaphor, right. or is it going to be a very focused one specifically on the Ukraine and a telephone call to the exactly. Ukraine? Exactly. And there's two distinct, th- you know, t- uh, trains of thought on that. I could probably argue either one, but I tend to go for the more wider net because, because you know, they, if they offer up a number of articles of impeachment, and God knows there are plenty of impeachable offenses that this man has committed, um, it gives the Republicans in the Senate the chance to maybe vote no on, say, five of them, but vote yes on one. And it just takes a conviction on one to remove this crook from office. Yes, and indeed. And, and absolutely. And I absolutely agree with you. And and you know what? I hadn't even thought of it specifically in the terms you mentioned. I've mm-hmm. been thinking it in, in more, if you like, pessimistic terms. Right. And here's the terms I've been thinking of it. So if you go narrow, and here I'm with you, and the Republicans decide, well, okay, give them a break yep. or whatever you want yep. to say. The fact is that if you go larger, bigger, if you assume that the Republicans will not pull him out of office, mm-hmm. right, or push mm-hmm. him out of office, mm-hmm. then at least make the American people aware in a grand agenda and list of the word crimes may or may not apply, but clearly this list of abuse of power. High crimes this, and misdemeanors. Right, right. Because mm-hmm. it's not... In fact, people should realize that, that you don't, don't have actually, to criminal you didn't offenses. have to commit a criminal offense exactly. in order to be impeached yes. and then yes. convicted. It mm-hmm. merely means it's time to go, Donald. We're <laughs> utterly fed up with the corruption you've brought to Washington and with the ambitions that if, that you've pursued both in terms of power and wealth. Yes. Yes. And these are behaviors that are not appropriate for a president of the United States to engage in. High crimes and misdemeanors don't necessarily refer to a criminal offenses, but they are impeachable offenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And the, of course, people start have thrown around the term treason at the same time. And I, I think that's that that in itself is overdoing it. Um, it's overdoing it because it means a treason usually involves your working with an enemy to to undo the United States. And Donald Trump has been negotiating with both enemies and friends alike, all for the, his own his own ends. Exactly. And- I think the question of treason, when it applies to Donald Trump's behavior, is legitimate. 
Um, because, you know, many do consider Russia an enemy. And did you see a- another thing from this morning? Keir Simmons of NBC News had an occasion at an event in Moscow, I believe, to question Vladimir Putin. And he asked him, are you, are you going to promise that you will not interfere in our 2020 elections? And he made a joke. He like he he spoke he he sort of whispered did a stage whisper he's like oh of course I will not interfere I mean he made light of the situation and wouldn't yeah. commit to not interfering this is serious yeah. stuff and yes I I think in some and I'm not a lawyer um, but in my mind it, it is treasonous behavior from for a president yeah well it may be treasonous Zinous, behavior but it's but not I don't treason think you can convict him on treason right. gotcha I mean I I've used the word all along and you'll see it in the uh, in the book that I, I refer to him with a whole host of uh, derogatory terms, including <laughs> treacherous. Uh-huh. So, uh, gotcha. But of course, that was, you know, sent to the into the publisher several months ago. So things have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Harvey J.K. So here we are. Um, there is an impeachment, official impeachment inquiry, finally, um, finally. Uh, announced by Nancy Pelosi. And, the, and it's amazing in the past week. I mean, since she made this announcement, how quickly they've acted. Um, so so yes. uh, th- th- uh, we've answered we're not really a democracy. We're more of a democratic republic. Even that is sort of in question under this administration where everything is sort of upended. Let me ask you this. As you're a historian. Has the United States ever seen as destructive a president? And I mean destructive to the rule of law and the Constitution, as, as this one has been. Well, that's a very good question, a really good one. That that yes, um, I don't think so. I mean, that that's that's my sense. There have been truly abysmal, horrible, um, slaveholding. I mean, we can go through all of the descriptions, mm-hmm. but but absolutely destructive, only maybe to the extent that they were willing to place the interests of the South above that of the United States, and thus led us into uh, the Civil War. And right. of course, I think. And and that's but let's put it this way. At least in in my life, these seventy years, it's hard to I couldn't possibly say that. Who would have thought we would see someone outpace, outdo Richard Nixon? Right. You know, and that that's the thing. I mean, again, I, I have my. I mean, you could talk about Lyndon Johnson taking us into the war in Vietnam. You could talk about Bush taking us into the war in Iraq. I mean, you could talk about those kinds of things. But this is. This is a this is a step beyond. You can even go back to Reagan, who brought into his cabinet some very very destructive, if if you like, sort of. I won't use the word anti-American because I don't mean quite anti-American, but their willingness to devastate the environment, to make money on on American public life, those kinds of things. But this is of a scale we have never seen before, because we really do have an argument being made by the Attorney General in the Department of Justice and those who have surrounded. Donald Trump, that he is somehow above and outside the law. You know, in that sense, and here's another thing to consider. I mean, this is just how perverse the situation has been. Think about all of the folks who have come into and either left or been pushed out of this administration in the Mm -hmm. course of three years. I mean, some of them had had to go because they were truly corrupt and truly abysmal. Okay. And and they they were essentially even 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 the likes of Donald and his crew was able to, to see that. But it's also the case that so many of these people their 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 faults and failings, their if you like, small C criminal activity had to do with the way in which they toadied, you know, and pursued his agenda, right. however much it was an agenda that clearly did represent a threat to the Democratic Republic we have. And so this is three years of this over and over and over again. You know, if you had said to me 
at the outset of this administration, in spite of all my warnings of what was going to happen, I don't think I would have imagined the level of corruption that has marked this administration. And indeed, if we can go back now to that call to the president of the yes, Ukraine, please. I mean, I mean, that phone call was was absolutely amazing to think that he was going You'd have to be an idiot, and many people are in, around Washington probably, but you'd have to be an idiot not to see the degree to which he was looking to basically say, you know, you need this military aid to hold off the Russians, who, by the way, I happen to be friendly with. Well, here's what I need, okay? You can do us a favor. I mean, that's that's what was happening. And then the proof of the pudding. I mean, even if even if that was a slip of the tongue by a you know truly an idiot, it is the case that what do they do? The White House decided well they better they better sequester. Is that the good way of putting it? Uh-huh. Sequester this conversation as they've done with other right. conversations in a special high higher security electronic system. I mean, the the White House lawyers themselves knew even if Donald didn't immediately that Jesus this, this we're we're in trouble here. We have really got to do something. And that, and everyone misses the fact that that memorandum or or note that came from the inspect the inspector general of the uh, intelligence community actually notes the fact that the complainant says that these were that the White House lawyers seem to have been fully aware of what, or at least White House staff was fully aware of just how dangerous this kind of stuff was. So right. here we are. Okay, right. and there it is. Is that ding coming from you? I apologize. <laughs> that is. I've got my phone off. Huh? This, I'm going to tell you what. I'll try to. It's okay. I was just wondering where it was coming from and hoping it wasn't coming from my computer. There are people around, the, there are grad students that I've sort of mentor from a distance and mm-hmm. up in Canada and other places and I, who I really do appreciate. And little do they realize that you and I are having this conversation. So. <laughs> oh, and they're dinging. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay, um, I, and I don't know if you heard, oh, but... Say, it, by the way, yeah. there is something I did want to note about Nancy Pelosi's finally coming to the conclusion it was time to truly launch impeachment inquiries, right? Uh-huh. What's interesting... Look, Nancy Pelosi is is a narrowly understood. She's a liberal, okay? Has that? Well, she's a liberal. Okay. To call her a progressive, uh, yes, on, gotcha. on certain issues, but to but to give, we want to we don't want to give it give her too much credit for her for her progressivism. I would say here, but what's interesting is back in two thousand and eight, when it was 2000, 2006, when the Democrats retook Congress under the Bush administration, some journalist shouted to her, "What are you going to do now that you've got?" you know, command of Congress. And she said, "My, listen to my answer, something like that. She said, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In other words, she implied there was going to be this really great, you know, sort of transformative agenda that was going to, that she was going to propose. Well, obviously that didn't happen. Okay. It just didn't happen. What I thought even more fascinating is the fact that this time, who does she quote in her announcement, her statement to the press? Thomas Paine, hmm, the American radical, right. the American yeah. revolutionary. And I, I mean, everyone was sending me emails. Did you hear? <laughs> she quoted Thomas Paine. You know, and I said, I said, it's great. If only she could get the spirit of Thomas Paine right. and the spirit of Franklin Roosevelt right, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, well, true. True. You know, a moment ago, Harvey J.K., you were talking about the levels of corruption in this administration and how many people have passed through, right? And and I think back to when he named Rex Tillerson the head of ExxonMobil as Secretary of State. And all of us collectively thought, oh, my God, could it be any worse? <laughs> right? yes. And then we wind up with Mike Pompeo, who on the surface seems, okay, we know he's a partisan hack, but, you know, he graduated top of his class from West Point. He's a Harvard Law graduate, thinking at least he understands the law. He can't be that bad. Well, 
Let's look at this week when the story breaks about this phone call between Trump and the president of Ukraine. And he tells Martha Raddatz on ABC's This Week, I know nothing about that call. And this morning, again, more breaking news this morning from wherever he is. I think he's in Italy and Sebastian Gorka is along for the ride. And who knows for what what reason? He has Sebastian Gorka along for the ride. Yes. Apparently he's a member of the media, don't you know? Yeah. Um, But he did a press conference this morning, and finally he was asked about the call, and he admitted this. As for was I on the phone call, I was on the phone call. He was on the phone call, although then he veers off and doesn't address what was said on the phone call. But he had to admit he was on the phone call. This is a man, Secretary of State, lying to the American people about this matter of national security. Wow. Right. Now, maybe you can help me out. I haven't heard a peep out of Mike Pence lately, have you? No, Mike Pence has been very quiet, and but but uh, we are hearing whispers about how involved he was. And in fact, the little things that I'm able to figure out, we know that Mike Pence was supposed to go to Zelensky's inauguration. And oh. at the last minute, he was pulled back. And uh, I forget who was sent in his stead. But Mike Pence, I believe, is up to his ears in this. We just don't quite know how yet. Yeah, pr- quite as he was probably up to his ears in the Mike Flynn appointment. Mm-hmm. Was that his name? Mike, Michael Flynn? Was that his first name? Flynn, yes. you know, the yep, security Mike Flynn. Advisor. Yep, Michael Flynn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I was saying to some, in fact, I said to someone yesterday, I said, so, so where's Mike Pence? Yeah. They got him sequestered, Hiding. so he yeah. doesn't. Admit, so he doesn't confess too. I mean, maybe we can get a twofer on I this. I guess. One, no? I guess. So you know, now today was the day that the first of the um, uh, State Department now ex officials was supposed to testify. Was supposed to sit for a deposition with um, members of uh, staff for for these mm. five committees. And Mike Pence. I'm sorry, my, <laughs> too many Mikes. Mike right. Pompeo issued a a very stern letter the other day saying, you know, no, this is not going to happen. You're harassing and bullying them. Um, The chairman of these committees responded equally in force with another letter. And the bottom line is the um, former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, who was fired by them, she was scheduled to, uh, to appear today. Now she's confirmed to appear on September 11th. And Kurt Volker, the State Department's former special envoy for Ukraine, who was originally scheduled for Thursday, will appear on Thursday, tomorrow. He will be there behind closed doors. It's unknown whether a transcript of the deposition will be released to the public, but he's basically telling uh, Mike Pompeo, I don't care what you say, I don't work for you, I'm going to testify as I said I would. Good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, if I I can take a sidebar here. Yeah. I I have a student who... Who's from Who's from U- Ukraine? Uh-huh. Well, he grew. He was there until the age of seven, and he's got family there, and he's you know he's gone back and all of that every so often. And yesterday, I we were meeting because he graduated last May, and he now wants to apply to law school. And we were meeting, and we were talking about Ukraine. And he was telling me, he said one of the reasons his mother was so eager to leave when she did is the level of corruption that prevailed in Ukraine. And this would have been say. 15 years ago that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it just kills him that here's a country that's do, fighting to transcend both the, the assault by Russia by way of those rebels in the eastern Ukraine and this record of corruption. And then we have a president of the United States who would like to drag the president of the Ukraine into his own corruption, you might say. So 
you know, it's just, I, I said to him, I said, you know, I really do feel for you. And the sooner we can make you a lawyer, maybe the better off we'll be. Mm, I hear you. Um, Harvey JK, I, I just, we're recording this on Wednesday morning um, to air on the broadcast this afternoon and on my show as well. Anyway, there's breaking news that just came across my computer. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he resigned, though. No, this is, this is totally separate and apart from everything we've been talking about. Bernie Sanders experienced chest discomfort during a campaign event on Tuesday and had two stents inserted to address a blockage in an artery. Yeah, Senator Sanders is conversing and in good spirits. He will be resting up over the next few days, according to one of his senior advisors. We are canceling his events and appearances until further notice and will continue to provide appropriate updates. Um, By way of caution to people getting all bent out of shape about this, he had two stents inserted. I think this is similar to what Mick Jagger had done before they came back and did this last tour. So, but... Uh, you know, it's not good that, news that, to that, hear on a day like today. No, not at all, because as we'll talk maybe in a, in a, in a couple of weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. America, I, I know it's going to sound very cliche or whatever, but Bernie is our greatest hope. And I want to finish on this note. Okay. I don't even think the Bernie PR people quite grasp this. The beauty of Bernie Sanders' campaign is not that he'll fight for us, which is what they're saying, Hillary Clinton said she'd fight for us, too, and there was little chance of that happening. The fact is that what makes Bernie unique is that he encourages the fight in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he that, does. I had to say that, okay. Yep. Uh, look, I remain a huge Bernie Sanders supporter. I worry what his opponents yeah. will do with this news today. Right. I, too. Mm. Uh, Harvey JK. Uh, Find him on Twitter at Harvey JK and um, look out for his new book. It's called Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. It's officially released on October 25th. It's available now, certainly at Amazon, to pre-order. I can't wait to read it, and we will reconvene again in a couple of weeks, Harvey, to go uh, talk in specifics about the book. Thank you. I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much. Me too. As always. Thank you, Harvey. That is Professor Harvey J.K. Find him on Twitter at Harvey J.K. K-A-Y-E is how you spell K-J is the initial. And you know Harvey, right? And with that, we come to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. Thank you for bearing with me during this time. I hope you went to bradblog.com and read Brad's beautiful, heartfelt eulogy for his father. Now that Rosh Hashanah is over, the family is sitting Shiva for a couple of days. Brad and Desi should be back sometime next week. Hopefully I'll hear from them in the next day or two, and we'll have a more of a definitive timetable for their return. But just know they are coming back, I promise you. In the meantime, thank you for being patient with me and um, holding down the fort here at the Bradcast. Until tomorrow, I'm Nicole Sandler filling in for Brad Friedman, signing off as Brad always does. Good luck, world.